obesity is a disease and you need to treat it accordingly. You need to stop listening to people that are unqualified and basically selling you things that are unevidence-based and doing more harm than good. Because while you're in that vicious cycle of deprivation followed by indulgence, you're never going to succeed because your biology is always going to fight itself. And then you might end up being that person that is then 150, 200 kilos. Because we've had many cases where people have reported being otherwise in a normal, healthy weight. And this is particularly common with younger females nowadays. So they have this distorted perception of what a healthy body weight is. And as a result, they're actively always trying to do something about it. But when you're doing that and you're intentionally trying to change your weight or weight cycling, all that's going to happen is your weight will go up over time and then you will have a physical problem with your weight. That is Dr. Nick Fuller. And this is part four of the best of 2009 of Better Than Yesterday. there. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. I am your host and um, this is my show. Thank you so much for being being here. Thanks for being a part of the show. Uh, today's episode is the last of our best of 2019 episodes with Dr. Nick Fuller. Um, more about Dr. Nick Fuller in a moment. Happy New Year. It's 2020. It's 2020 and our country is on fire still. Um, if you're new, if this is your brand new first time ever listening, um, hi, welcome. This show is better than yesterday and it's simply a podcast designed to, it's just a conversation. Uh, sometimes it's me having a conversation with you. Sometimes it's me and you having a conversation with another person, which is what's going to happen today. And it's just designed to help you make today a bit better than yesterday. That's it. If you like what you hear, there are over 300 other episodes for you to go and explore over six years of conversation to help you through your day. So strap in because there's a lot of it. So thank you uh, very, very much. I do want to quickly thank uh, the people that rated and reviewed this show. That is what helps other people find out about the show. It really helps us here at the show. We have had over 300 guests on this show and so we're always searching for more guests and what really helps us get bigger and better and higher profile guests on the show to get better conversations for you is um, where we sit on the on the charts. And to help us get better on those charts and get in there, it's ratings, it's reviews, it's subscriptions of the show. Wherever you can rate, review and subscribe to the show, that's brilliant. Or don't, if you don't want to, that's fine. If you could tell someone about the show, that would make a massive world of difference. Uh, just recommending the show to another person, having a conversation with someone, oh, yeah, I heard a podcast about that. With Dr. Nick Fuller, yeah, you should check it out. It's a nice show. Here, I'll show you. Boom. Don't know how to listen to a podcast on your phone? Let me show you. Boom, boom, boom. Change someone's day. Can you imagine if you did not know how to listen to podcasts and then someone shows you how? Your world would change overnight. It'd be like, and here's an invention called television, like straight away. It's amazing because I, lo- I love podcasting. I've been devouring podcasting. It's the holidays and um, as a result, I mean, we've just moved house. And in fact, I'm coming to you from the new pod cave, which I'm yet to put soundproofing in, as you can no doubt hear. Hopefully next week it's a little less bouncy in here. But yeah, so we've been doing a lot of, you know, just when you move house, there's just a zillion things on the things to do list. So I just pop the headphones in and off I go. In fact, today I was at Bunnings and I snuck a pair of 
hearing protection Bluetooth cans in. So not only do they cut all sound out from outside, I can listen to podcasts on them via Bluetooth. So I can be out the back digging out the stupid bromeliads who suck up so much water and breed mosquitoes. Listening to my blind boy podcasts, listening to my dollop podcasts, and no one has... Oh, it's going to be so good. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year. It's a big podcasty kind of year, big podcasty kind of year. So thanks to the people that did rate and review the show in the iTunes store, however you do that, on your phone, on your laptop, wherever you do it. Thanks very much to oh, the wonderfully named Birdshite. I recommend this podcast to anyone and everyone I can. Osher is calm, rational, and informed. Pair this with awesome guests from all walks of life and conversations I would never engage in in my everyday life. My mental health is improving because I've worked up the courage to admit I wasn't okay and return to meds and open up to people which helped more than I would have ever thought. Osher's check-ins are the sole reason I made these steps and I am here today. I could write paragraphs and paragraphs, but I'll leave it at that. If you want to listen to one podcast, this is the one. Birdshite, that is the sweetest thing. Thank you so, so bloody much. I'm so damn grateful for you to write that. And I'm, yeah, mental health is a very important thing. And I'm grateful that we can talk about it here on this show, as well as many, many other things. As you know, if you know my story, my ability to even just be here today talking to you while my eyes are stinging from the smoke outside is testament to how working on your mental health and working hard on your mental health and daily practice on your mental health is something that works and will work and can work and does work. But like they say, it works if you work it. A great email came in. I love to see where you're listening to the show. That's the thing I love to see. Where are you listening to the show? Send me a photograph on the phone that you're listening to this on because I know everyone but like five people listens and those five people, I know who they are because they write, they send me photos. They're usually in labs or some sort of environment where they can't have a mobile device and they listen on desktops, but everybody else listens on a phone. And um, a cracking one came in from Chris Bloody great episode with Brian Fogel. If you don't know, Brian Fogel won an Oscar for making the film Icarus about doping and cycling and doping in sport generally. It's an extraordinary film. It was a great chat. And Chris is listening where I often like to listen to a podcast. Chris is listening um, on the can and he's a foot out pooper. He's in a pair of shorts. Now, some people, if you're in a pair of shorts, ladies, you may not appreciate this considering your wardrobe options from below are, are somewhat more varied than, than gentlemen. But if you're in a pair of shorts for a man, I'd certainly in a pair of shorts for a lady, he's got the right foot out. So both feet around, both, you know, pants down, sit down, toilet, one foot out. He's a foot out pooper. Chris, I might give that a shot. I'm, a, I'm both feet on the stool in front of me. Got the little stool from the Daiso store because, you know, get a good angle on those knees. Got those knees above your hips, man. That's what you got to do. Enough about pooping. We'll probably talk about poop more later on. Thanks very much to Jenny who wrote... I just wanted to let you know I finished reading your book at one o'clock this morning. What a story. It was a great book. Thanks for being honest and open. I've recommended it to my friends on Facebook. I really had trouble putting it down. My favorite bit was your footnote about OCD. It is misunderstood. It's not a joke and you wouldn't wish it on anyone. Yeah. She said, you know, do you know how happy I was to read that? I read it a few times because it was so happy to hear someone else acknowledge that. Yeah, it is. OCD is a very, uh, I've been diagnosed with an obsessive compulsive disorder and um, it's not just washing your hands or cleaning 
I promise you. <laughs> Though that is visually representative and it's easy to show in a film or a television show, that is not exactly what obsessive compulsive disorder is. So, Jenny, I'm glad the book helped. Thanks very much to Pam who sent a photograph. Send us your email at gmail.com is my email address. I'd love to get the where you're listening and I'd love to see what you're seeing when you're listening. And also, I'm here to answer your questions. Any questions at all, I'm down, you know. Questions about me, questions about the show, questions about life in general, I'm down. Send us your email at gmail.com. Pam wrote, the podcast listening view from our apartment in your old stomping ground in Indrapilly. Yes, absolutely. Uh, she's looking south to the border ranges. I know exactly where you are. Indrapilly is right near where I grew up in Brisbane. Feeling very lucky that so far Brisbane has been spared the fires, but completely helpless for those who are in the bushfire zones. Now you're feeling, Pam. I'll talk about more of that, about that in a sec. Aiden and Maddie are listening to the podcast on the way to Byron Bay for a day trip. Thank you very much, Maddie, in the passenger seat taking the photo. Very good. None of this taking a photo while you're driving. And they're listening to the Talking to Your Family About Climate Change episode that I put out just before Christmas, which is a very important one. And a lot of people did listen and a lot of people did give it a bloody good shot. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're listening to this in five years from now, you'll know what happened in the summer of 2019, 2020 in Australia. You'll know what happened. Is that just astonishing cataclysmic amounts of our country has been destroyed. So many people have died. So many people have died. Firefighters have died. Nearly half a billion animals are dead. An area of land that is incomprehensible to describe to you in numbers. We're starting to get up to an area of land that's as as big as, you know, bigger than European countries is gone. My brother-in-law, his parents reported There's smoke over Auckland where they live. Auckland is a three-hour flight away over an ocean and that's smoke coming from the fires here in Australia. It is utterly devastating and I cannot begin to imagine the trauma that is being felt by the people who who are suffering right now. Having been through traumatic experiences myself and knowing the amount of work that it takes to, to work through that 
I'm with you. And I think, you know, there is one thing to hire a 737 to water bomb fires, but it's another thing to, these are people who are going to need a lot of help afterwards to deal with what they're going through and have been through. A lot of help. PTSD is no joke. I can tell you that from personal experience. Figuring out how to deliver that kind of psychological support at scale to remote areas that's something we're going to need a lot of in the in the next few decades certainly as more and more countries begin to get affected by climate change it's kind of interesting you know us a a wealthy uh you know largely white wealthy nation uh, we're the eighth wealthiest country in the world is being so devastated by this because it seems that the world is really caring about this but it, it does make me think about that. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have lost their homes. So many people have died. I can't imagine the terror and the horror they felt when they passed. It's just devastating to even comprehend, you know, thinking about people on a beach because they can't escape waiting for a naval boat to come and evacuate them. We've got a little boy, you know, people there are going to be there with babies, you know, a baby with a full nappy crying because they're hungry you know there's no food there's no water there's no nappies what do you you know jesus christ harrowing devastating but it's funny because it's images like that that aren't the images that made my friends overseas reach out it was the images of the animal suffering that made my friends overseas reach out and isn't that interesting you know yeah i guess it's in the same way that we will walk past a homeless person Someone who's deeply in need of help. They're in trouble. They're sleeping on the fucking street. They probably haven't eaten in days. But we'll walk straight past them. Yet, we will get a rescue dog or feed a stray cat. Isn't that interesting? Look, if that's what it takes, man. (laughs) If that's what it takes for the world to sit up and notice... You know, there's that photo, I'm sure you've seen it. There's that many photos of distressed wildlife and dying wildlife and dead wildlife. And that photo of the kangaroo fleeing in the silhouette against a burning house. You know, there's pictures like that. There's pictures like that that will hopefully wake the world up. Because we're the home, we're the nation of cute, fluffy people. Cute, fluffy people and cute, fluffy animals. Cute, furry bears, cute little Squidgy, squidgy little kangaroos with joeys. And those are the things that tick the boxes on the... I don't know what it is about us humans that, you know, an animal in distress changes us more than a human in distress, but that's what it is. And if that's what it is, that's what it is. If that's what it takes, it's, it's horrid. But if that's what it takes for the world to look up and go, oh, oh I guess climate change is actually happening and oh, it can be bad. Yeah. It doesn't mean I just, you know, if you're in America, my brother lives in Detroit. He wrote us on Christmas Day, it's 10 degrees. It shouldn't fucking be 10 degrees on Christmas Day in Detroit, yo. It should be 10 below. But hey, you know, if you're in a, a freezing climate and you don't have to wear, you know, three North Face jackets, you're like, this isn't so bad. <laughs> I hope it doesn't have to go on much longer before the world acts. I really don't. We've got a few more months of this, though. That's the thing. We really, we're going to have to work together. There's no more I, there's no more me. There's just we from now on. There really has to be. We have to help those who need our help. We do. I was talking to Audrey about it today. We had a long chat about it, you know, that 
yeah, we can donate money, but that just, just feels a little helpless. It feels like throwing cash out the window of your car on the freeway, you know. But then I think about like, like I can't go down the fire front. I don't know what to do. I just get in the way. I'm just another useless, you know, observer. Just another car to try and evacuate. Another person, you know, taking up space, blocking up a road that an emergency vehicle has to get down or someone fleeing needs to get down. So we, we can donate. And it does, those, those funds really do make a big difference. But it is weird because you're not doing anything tactile. But just trying to remember that those funds do make a big, big difference. Last time we spoke, we were talking about, uh, oh, shit, I talk about climate change on the show a lot. But you know, I think Josh Zepps, uh, we, Josh Zepps was on the show. He's been on the show a few times, but we talked about you know, our country being the lucky country. I'll tell you why we're fucking lucky, man. We were talking before a couple of weeks back about 60% of Australia's export economy, 60% is based on three commodities, iron ore, natural gas, and coal. And you can mark my words, you look at the share prices of you know, investment funds that don't invest in fossil fuels, there's one that I follow that's doubled in price since these fires started. Doubled in price since these fires started. Smart money knows what's up. Money tells you where the smart people are going. You know, Pretty soon, in the next 10 years, no one's going to want coal. No way. <laughs> no one's going to want our gas. But I'll tell you what they will want. And they want hydrogen. Hydrogen is um, that's the most abundant element in the universe. It's uh, at this point, it's uh, in its liquid form. Liquid hydrogen is used a lot in you know oil refining and 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 in various industrial things. But liquid hydrogen is essentially it's a fuel. There was you know hydrogen was used in internal combustion cars. I don't know, a couple hundred years ago. I'm sure they they were, they were using it back then. Let me check. Where did I read that? Hang on a sec. Just pulling something up on the on the old what's it's. The first internal combustion engines over 200 years ago were powered by hydrogen. There you go. That's, that's a big deal. So, yeah, hydrogen is essentially, you know, it's the H and the H2O. When it's a liquid, it's no more dangerous or no less safe than petrol or diesel as flammability is concerned. And what's wonderful is that this liquid hydrogen is made by, there's some ways you can make it where you use water because water's got two hydrogen atoms and one O, one oxygen atom, H2O, remember that part. Or you can make it out of methane. There's a company in West Australia that uses iron ore as a catalyst and makes it out of methane and um, wonderfully creates graphite and hydrogen and the graphite is then used in EV batteries. It's extraordinary. It's, like, it's not technology we have to cross our fingers and hope someone invents. I mean, this stuff is here right now. And... Um, our country, our country of Australia, which is blessed with an abundance of sun and wind, has the ability to essentially become a global super exporter of this fuel, particularly to countries like Japan and South Korea, which rely pretty much entirely on liquid fossil fuels for their economy to work. Your phone, my computer, or anything that's made in Korea, my Samsung, whatever's been made in Korea is powered by this anyway it's, it's, and we're, we're the lucky country because my goodness we are poised we are poised with enough infrastructure investment and forward thought we could do this we could become the catter of hydrogen if we wanted it's just who's got the who's got the political will to pull the goddamn trigger you know i talk a lot about you know a, a fair and equitable transition away from fossil fuels man there's a lot of people who work in the, the coal and mining industry that have ac- applicable and transferable skills to large-scale hydrogen. I mean, there's the thing about liquid hydrogen. It uses existing infrastructure to transport natural gas to get around. We could use the existing natural gas network 
in Australia to transport hydrogen, use hydrogen to fuel our cars, to fuel our power plants, to fuel whatever other things we need fueling. Because that's the other thing about hydrogen is that when it's compressed, uh, the energy density, and it stores more energy per kilo than uh, a battery, which is a very big deal when you're talking about a car because weight of a battery is, is, you know, if you've got more people in your car or you're towing something, you'll know that your car uses a lot more fuel or, or uh, is less efficient. So if, if you've got a 100 kilo battery, just for sakes, because I can't really do maths very well, if you've got a 100 kilo battery, 100 kilos of hydrogen will store more energy, if that makes sense, and get you further, drive you farther, if that makes sense. Further, father, dad, is that you? <laughs> Far, I'm ranting, man, shit, 20 minutes. We haven't even got to weight loss yet. Don't worry, we'll get to weight loss. On Friday, on Friday, I talked about 20 ideas for 2020. It was something that I put up on Instagram and people seemed to go for it. And so I thought, you know what? You know what? It's interesting. Like, I'll try and see if I can't come up with an idea that will make today better than yesterday. Because that's what the name of this show is. And I do like to move and evolve and change and grow this show as I go. And so. If you haven't listened to those 20 ideas for 2020, it's on Friday's episode. You can go check it out. Or if you want it right now, you can look on my Instagram, uh, which I don't check anymore, so don't write me there. You've got to send us your email at gmail.com. But we talked about, oh, hang on one sec. The other thing about hydrogen, really important thing about hydrogen, the most important thing about hydrogen, I can't believe I forgot to mention this. When you burn hydrogen, it emits no greenhouse gases. I'm pretty sure it just emits oxygen. Huh. Pretty sure but it doesn't emit CO2, which is game-changing. It's clean, 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 clean as it gets. And hydrogen in the atmosphere is inert, as far as I know. That's a big deal. That's a big fucking deal. So if the people you're voting for aren't looking to... And the CSIRO announced the hydrogen strategy, the chief scientist, um, Alan Finkel, I believe is his name, Australia's chief scientist, has put planned out a, a hydrogen switching over to a hydrogen economy for, you know, economy's sake. The New South Wales um, chief scientist is pushing forward with trying to develop hydrogen, large-scale hydrogen. Our country can do it. We just need the political will and the people's will. And I, fuck, I hope this is what it takes because if you put clean energy out there, then you can start using that energy, that clean produced energy for carbon sequestration to start to pull this goddamn carbon dioxide out of the system, whether it be out of the atmosphere or out of the ocean. Because that's what's going to have to happen if we want to get this place, you know, we're going to start mitigating what we're doing, slowing things down. We're going to have to start pulling the carbon out of the atmosphere and out of the, out of the water. Then we're going to need clean energy to do it because otherwise it doesn't work, you know. Otherwise you're just putting out energy to pull carbon and putting out carbon to pull carbon out makes no sense. Anyway, and having methane as a fuel stock, which is really, really interesting because that's a gas. There's a lot of – means the people in Texas can still make money, which is nice. Those cows fart a lot. Um so anyway, Audrey and I, had a, we are having a big chat this week. We had a good talk. And I was thinking, you know, because we are, we're in, you know, bodgy grey water mode uh, here at our, in our place. We just moved house and, you know, we, we're probably going to do some serious renovations in, in a year or two. But until then, we're just in bodgy grey water mode, which is buckets. And um, I thought for, I've been thinking a lot about this because we are, you know, our garden's doing great because we're bathing the baby a lot and all the bathwater's going on the garden. So our, all our basil and mint and tomatoes, everything's growing really nicely. So I thought if, I, if I'm going to try and put out an idea that'll make 
today better than yesterday. I'm going to try as hard as I can to then help get you thinking about what's the ways we can do things better. Ideally, the way I like to think about it is uh, what's something that we can do using existing infrastructure that doesn't take much, a very small amount of adjustment to change the way we use something we already use rather than deploying something entirely new like what I'm describing with the hydrogen stuff. So today's idea around making today better than yesterday involves water. Uh, In Australia right now, uh, as you can probably guess, there's a colossally humongous unprecedented, never before seen drought. And in Australia, and I've lived, I've been in countries where there has also been very dry conditions, and particularly I've spent time in a country like Israel where they are enormously uh, very, very careful about how they use water. And I thought, what's something that's pretty simple that you could do to save water here, and particularly in Sydney where there's a, a humongous drought at the moment? Well, number one, and this is one of the ideas that I talked about the other day, is making grey water for flushing and water gardening water mandatory for all new buildings like make it a building code and um the idea of making any kind of retrofitted gray water systems 100 percent tax deductible and maybe even a grant for people who can't afford it but on that audrey and i we kind of we talked a bit about this and we kind of came up with this one so this doesn't take any more infrastructure than than what we've already got right using water water from the the water supply the the, the city municipal water supply the water stays the same price. So let's just say it's a dollar a litre, just for shits and giggles, all right? Super expensive, but let's just say it's a dollar a litre, okay? When you're in water restrictions, every household gets a water budget, okay? So depending on the, the, the water restrictions, every household has a, has, a, has a water budget. So I went to um, the city of Cape Town in South Africa, who, as you would no doubt know, were counting down to day zero, which is when the water was going to run out. Um, it's fucking heavy heavy, heavy. That was happening, sorry, that was happening in Johannesburg, but in Cape Town, they're really, really, really intense. But they have a water calculator there as well, so you can figure out how much water you use every day. And I worked out with our family, we use around 100 litres of water every day. That's a lot, but that includes showering, cooking, dishwasher, laundry machine. So for us, that's 400 litres a day. That is a lot of water, a lot of water. So for example, to make this example work, if it's a dollar a litre, then water for my day will cost $400. But for every litre underneath our budget of 400 litres, we get 100% cash back on our next bill. All right? But every litre over that starts to increase exponentially, kind of like airline luggage. You know, when you go over on airline luggage, the first kilo costs you 20 bucks, the second kilo costs you 50 bucks, whatever. So if the first 10 litres over is an extra, I don't know, 20 cents a litre, the, f- the next 10 litres is 50 cents a litre, the next 10 litres is 70 cents a litre, and, you know, soon you're starting to pay double. So, you know, if you want to water your garden in severe water restrictions, then you go right ahead, but it's going to cost you. So right now what we're doing is we're using basins in the sink to collect the water that we wash the dishes with, those big floppy ones you get from Bunnings. They cost about four bucks, the ones that you would fill with rubble if you're doing a demo of a, of a room or a kitchen or whatever and then take it out to the skip. We put, I put them between our feet when we, when we shower. And we've got even tiny little like kind of almost like a takeaway container under the sinks when we wash our hands. And it all goes into the buckets, all right? At this point we're filling, I don't know, they're 11-litre buckets. We're filling four or five of these buckets a day. And we use that water to flush the toilet using a bucket flush, and then we go put it in watering cans and take it out to the garden. And so that's pretty simple. Like these buckets from Bunnings, I saw them today, they're like $4.29 for a 42-litre bucket from Bunnings. So about 
20 bucks worth of buckets and a couple of lines of code on the water bill. And you could save so much water in our country and just put it in the heads of people. Uh, if I save water, I'm saving money. So you put an economic incentive in it, that changes everything, right? If you wanted to take it a little further, perhaps every litre under budget, say, for example, we've used all this grey water, say 11 litres of water per bucket, let's make it, you know, 12, six litres per full flush if you want to flush a number two down. So that's two flushes for every one of the, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying. God, there's too many maths. I'm getting confused. You're getting confused. What are we doing, Ginsburg? Get to the weight loss guy. So instead of getting cash back, he could maybe opt to save those things up like credits, like almost like a carbon credit, and then sell those to like a golf course or a hospital or, or a hotel or someone that uses a lot of water. Maybe you could donate it to charity, you know. That's just a, you know, just a couple of lines of code at the back end where they do your water bill because they check your water meter anyway. You know, they know how many people live in the home. Um, you could apply for a, you know, dispensation if you have a guest staying over just to let them know that you had a guest for this day or whatever. You know what I mean? It wouldn't take much, but it could save a shitload of water. Anyway, that's the idea, hopefully. That's my better than yesterday idea for the day. Um, speaking of charity, speaking of giving things to charity, I'll put a link in the show notes to the two charities that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to push a lot of people towards. Of course, the RFS, the Rural Fire Service in New South Wales, rfs.nsw.gov.au. I'm sure there's a Victorian equivalent. I think you just changed the NSW to Vic. And also the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal, frrr.org.au. And at this point, Jeff Wilson, a podcast guest, I didn't know this until I went to the website to donate because he's stealth like that. Jeff from uh, Wilson Asset Management, they're matching dollar for dollar donations up to a million dollars for frr.org.au because when this is all over, people are going to need help, a lot of help. And programs run by the FRRR are the kind of programs that will help people deal with the trauma and and life and, and just living with what the cracking hell is going on or gone on here in this situation. Anyway... Fucking hell. What is that? Jesus, man, I've spoken for half an hour. We haven't got to the interview yet. All right. (laughs) Okay, so let me tell you about my guest today. Man, it's 2020, all right? And I'm not the only person in the world to tell you this, but usually around the first week of January, people are going, I've done nothing but eat for two straight weeks. I need to get in shape. I need to lose some weight. And um, pretty much... A lot of diets, a lot of people who go on diets fail. And um, Dr. Nick Fuller, my guest today, is here to talk to us about why that's the case and what we can do about it. Dr. Nick Fuller, is a, he's a leading obesity expert at the University of Sydney and the RPA Hospital, and he's the creator of something called Interval Weight Loss. His current position as research program leader within the Charles Perkins Center at the University of Sydney, what it does, it involves working with government and industry to basically identify and develop cost-effective treatments for both the treatment and the management of obesity and related physical and mental disorders. He's written a book, two books actually, Interval Weight Loss and Weight Loss for Life, and it's something like 95% of people will fail on their weight loss attempts. And the amount of diets that people attempt in their life is absolutely staggering. People fail not because of lack of willpower, but because of the biological protections hardwired into us, left over from our time on Earth as hunter-gatherers. Dr. Nick Fuller uses science to teach the body how to overcome those protections so that 
you can lose your weight without the body fighting it. I can definitely attest to this. I can definitely attest to having lost a lot of weight and a few times in my life and the weight came back on. is like, because my thing called a set point is all over the place. Um, but Dr. Nick will talk to you more about that. It's a great conversation. I hope you get a load out of it. You can find out more about Dr. Nick and um, interval weight loss at drnickfuller.com. I hope you enjoy the chat. Thanks for coming, Nick. Pleasure, pleasure. It's How great. are you? I'm good. It's good to do this with you and Mate, I'm, talk to you about it. I'm you know? stoked to do this with you because uh, weight loss has been such a part of my life. Yep. And I say to, I mean, as a, you know, I'm in recovery. I don't, I don't drink or do any drugs anymore. Yet compulsiveness is still in my day. Mm. And eating is a real tough one because yep. you've got to do it. Sure. When I did the men's health thing, I um, that little silver scale behind the knife block over there, yeah. I was just I just weighed everything. Mm-hmm. But it got to the point where I was so obsessive, I, I, I wouldn't even realise other people were in the kitchen with me. Right. And I really started to miss out on the communal aspect of eating with my family and yeah, you know, I was eating something different. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, just the pleasure of being with people sure. in the room and preparing yeah. the food together and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, And what I'm interested to talk about with you is that... I started to experiment with uh, fasting and intermittent yeah. fasting and, uh, and things like that. And I've, I've found it to be way easier than that. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> way easier. Yeah. Way easier than that. I'm they're still there. Uh, well, <laughs> that's only for like when we're baking and stuff yeah, okay. now. But I do want to kind of, can I talk about that to break it down? Because I know that you know, people flick through their phone every single day. Never before in history have we had so many subconscious or conscious messages about where we should be as far as our bodies go. But I'm interested to know, you are, it'd be fair to say that you're probably this country's leading obesity researcher. I definitely am recognised as a leading obesity expert, but we have some great researchers and clinicians and whatever we want to refer to them as in Australia, on our own very shores. Like we are actually seen as the leaders, I think, across the globe when it comes to obesity. So really, yeah, you've got the US and the UK looking to us. Hmm. We publish a, a lot of top-tier scientific research in, in all of the leading journals as well. So New England Journal of Medicine, The Lancet, BMJ. So it, it, the list goes on and on. We're definitely... We're definitely leading the charge. But when it comes to the problem itself, which is overweight and obesity, we're doing just as bad as the rest of the world. So we're fifth in terms of the prevalence, which is basically the rates of overweight and obesity. Um, So you've got the US, then you've got Mexico, New Zealand, Hungary, and then we're fifth on the list. And It's not slowing down either. No. And we have public health care. So we all pay for that. Exactly. Which economically is not great. No, obesity <laughs> does it. Like the, the condition, disease, it costs an absolute fortune, indirect and direct costs. Uh, so, I mean, yes, we need to do much more around this area, not only from a prevention point of view, but also managing those who have uh, obesity, you know, or, or struggling with their weight because... Otherwise, this cost just spiral out of control. You then develop other disease. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be mental health disorders, but also other physical health disorders. So type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. Yeah. yeah. 
which come back to, to diet. Yes, a lot of it does. Heaps of it does. That's the thing that I, you know, because I, I have a, a restrictive diet. I chose to be vegan, but I didn't choose to be celiac. I discovered I'm celiac about a year and a bit ago. So I was just walking through town the other night. We went to go see a friend play in, in Ultimate in Haymarket. And I'm just walking past all these restaurants and they're just Korean and Japanese and everyone's smelling all this food. I'm like, I'll never be able to go in there. I'll never eat it. Ever. <laughs> so much of the world I won't experience because I can't put it in my mouth. <laughs> True. <laughs> that's okay. You know, I don't want cancer of the duodenum, so that's okay. <laughs> you know? But I'm interested, like, how did you get on this path? How did you why why was this the thing that fascinated you? So my background started 15 years ago in actually corporate health. So working behind some of those shows, weight loss shows, giving the advice to contestants and families that were appearing on those shows. Uh-huh. But sadly, I knew what we were doing was wrong. And it was just obviously for visual effect, TV, you know, the media effect. And that these purple people would be worse off when we follow them up down the track. Now, you just have to take one example, and that's the show we all watched for many years called The Biggest Loser. A lot of those contestants that appeared on uh, different series have now been followed up by leading experts and, and one in particular in the US who's done a very good job at this. He went back and followed up these participants and these people not only have put the weight on since obviously um, going back to their real real world life and leading a normal life, but they've never recovered from a physiological point of view, which means within their body, it's not working as efficiently as it was before they lost the weight. So the metabolisms, which is the biggest thing, has never recovered. So put, to put that simply, you have a resting metabolic rate, how much energy you burn at rest, you lose weight, that will go down because you've got less body mass. We know that when you lose weight, it actually goes down um, beyond what can be controlled for. But even after stacking the weight back on these people that were on the show, their metabolisms are still lower than before they lost the weight. So they're basically just going to keep putting on more and more weight for the rest of their lives. So let, let, let me just – because I had to learn a lot about resting metabolic rate, but if this is the first time people have you know, thought about this, it might help to draw some analogies. The resting metabolic rate is, let's say, for example, you drive your car – 10 kilometers every day, the resting metabolic rate is the exact amount of fuel. And that's all you do. You just drive at the speed limit and the resting metabolic rate is the exact amount of fuel you need to maintain that vehicle at that speed for the trip. All right. How much energy you need to be awake, have your body move, walk around, do stuff until you go to sleep. Yes. Or how much energy? In a 24 hour period. Yes. Now, if you were to say, for example, drive that car very, very fast, you would use more energy and you'd run out of fuel before the end. And so you would then be at a deficit, which is where weight loss happens. Correct? Yes. Great. When you okay. start burning more energy than you're putting in, yes, you right. will be in a deficit. But metabolic rate is only one of those controlling factors. Right, right. So what I'm just, I just want to get people around this. So you're saying when you go on those big weight loss adventures, yes. drastic weight loss from these... I'm going to say morbidly obese people. They're yes. very, very, very big. Yes. 
when you go on those, your resting metabolic rate then drops, so your body's using less fuel to stay alive for mm-hmm. 24 hours. Yes. But that is, it's almost set like a thermostat. And so then when you get the weight back on, that metabolic rate does not increase to where it was. It stays down. Exactly. And so therefore you are in surplus way more than you were. So you're eating more, you're eating this probably the same size meals, but because your body's not burning as much, you're in a much bigger caloric surplus. So therefore you're putting weight on faster than you did before. Yes, you burnt, your body's not burning the fuel as efficiently as it was oh, before. That's a quagmire. Yeah, so don't think of it just as, as calories, but it's just not actually working as efficiently. The car's not going to the shops. Yeah. It's, it's conking out along the way. Yeah. That's what's happening. And as a result, your weight then goes up and up yeah. and up and up and up. And every time you go on some sort of weight loss program, whether it's for a TV show yeah. or you're doing, you know... 12-week juice cleanse! Yeah, exactly, a 12-week juice, juice cleanse. We'll lose weight, right? We'll have a competition. We'll see who can lose the most amount of weight. The weight will just pile off. That's the easy part. But then your body starts to work differently. It fights that weight loss. Your body changes within... An, itself all of these metabolic processes actually halt slow down and as a result that car that you're talking about stops working as efficiently why does that body fight the weight loss well simply put that is due to our ancestors so we can thank them for that basically we evolved to for instance seek out calorie dense high energy foods and often we wouldn't go or we would go long periods of time without eating Okay, so in the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, we're going about our day, we might hunt an animal, we find a beehive, we get some honey, we then might uh, get some vegetables and nuts and seeds as well. We take that back and we feast on that food. But then we might go long periods of time without food. What's long? It might be days, could be even longer. But it's more than what we're used to in the current day environment because remember now we're surrounded by food everywhere. So our ancestors are going through this time where they're hunter-gathering for food, they seek out that food, they have to expend a lot of energy to do it, they're hunting all day, they get back home, back to camp, everyone shares the food, then they basically, their body's going to shut down. They learn to store that fat and that food until that next, well, I guess, batch of food becomes available. And as we just said, it can often be long periods of time. Hang on, just really, really, really quickly. So just as far as evolution is concerned, evolution is yeah. a very, very slow thing, yes. despite what some people who believe in books that, yes. that were written by deities believe. Yes. Evolution is a very, very, very slow thing. So we still had this, I eat a big feed, maybe it's then another day, two days, three days before me and my family eat the fat of an animal, the meat of an animal again. So my body has stored the fat and the excess food, the excess calories that I ate three days ago and it's burning them off, burning them off, so I'm fine. And all as long as I drink water, I'm okay. And then when I eat again in three days from now, I'm fine. Somewhere along that way, someone went, hey, this if we plant all these plants in a row, we don't have to run around chasing bison all the time. We can just eat this stuff. Great idea, agriculture. And very, very quickly, that transformed humanity in a tiny, tiny scope of time, all right? And then within 
100 years to 300 years, whatever it took for the technology to exist around. Suddenly now we don't run around hunting and gathering anymore. We grow the food, we keep the animals in a pen because um, they're always they're easier to hunt when they're fenced in. And then, but the evolutionarily our bodies stayed at that point. Is that correct? Exactly. Right. So what we refer to it, you know, or what scientists refer to it as is an evolutionary mismatch. So you put the genes of our ancestors, which is the same genes we have today in the modern day environment, those traits that we just talked about, you know, where you're seeking out the calorie rich foods and then your body learned to slow down when food wasn't available. Well, you put those in the modern day environment and everything's out of whack. And as a result, we can't stop eating. Remember, we saw, we're seeking out those calorie rich foods and now we're not moving. And then what do we do as the, I guess, solution, we buy into the dieting world because we look for the quick fix. So it's not that our genes have changed over time. We have the same genes as our ancestors thousands of years ago. But all you're doing is putting those very clever traits into the modern day environment and you have that evolutionary mismatch. As a result, we now have this problem um, known as, you know, the obesity epidemic. And it's getting worse and worse and the dieting or weight loss industry is fueling on people's failures and that is why it's a growing industry and that's why it's now worth $60 billion globally. Do diets work? They don't. <laughs> I, simply put, I mean, we work, I work and my colleagues work at Australia's leading and largest obesity service. This is the University of Sydney and Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. And what, what's obesity? That's like a BMI. Uh, so clinically, BMI, if we talk about body mass index, which is your, your height, um, weight over your height squared, it's a BMI of 30. But a, to be classified overweight, so just having a few kilos around, say, your hips and your butt or your, or your midsection, your abs, it's 25. So most of us are actually overweight 70 percent of the population are now clinically diagnosed as overweight and you know a large percent are also clinically diagnosed as having obesity so we see patients of all walks and talks of life some people only have a few kilos to lose but other people have 50 60 70 80 kilo more kilos to lose and we're trying to paint a better picture of what weight management should look like. So we look at everything from simple dietary interventions through to medical devices, pharmaceutical and natural medicines, and also surgery. So what is the one thing that we see in common with every patient that presents to our clinic? It's that they have tried diets. They have been out there by themselves, online, maybe scrolling through social media, getting on the internet, and turning to the next diet that hits the shelves. And that's what they're doing repetitively. They're doing it four to five times every year. They've followed 60 diets by the age of 45. And 60? 60. And they will spend 31 years, maddening years of their life dieting. And they're just dieting themselves fatter and fatter and fatter. And this is, we know this, we have data that says fewer than 5% succeed on their weight loss journey. And this is when we follow them up longer term. Remember, anyone can lose the weight. We all celebrate those short-term successes. But when you go and follow someone up down the track, they've put the weight back on and they've put more than what they lost back on. And that goes again back to, to the evolution. 
and there was something else that we didn't talk about, but, well, you did touch on it. You talked about the thermostat and that weight that we, you know, we would stay constant at. That's basically known as our set point. And that set point weight is the weight you will protect. So you impose a stress on it. So let's go back to our hunter-gatherer's time, the stress being no food. Our body will slow down and metabolism would slow down to make sure you wouldn't lose weight. And go below that set point. And go below the set point. Otherwise, weight would just continue to go down and, and we wouldn't then be able to procreate. So obviously that is also doomed for failure. But every time you go on a diet, your body now is protecting that set point okay so that's why when you start to lose weight your body starts to fight itself it starts to fight that weight loss and go back to its start point it does that through basically eight well-researched biological pathways and the two easiest to digest and easiest to understand is one the metabolism which we talked about remember that goes down when you lose weight but it also goes down further than what we can compensate from just reduction in body mass but the second thing is your appetite hormones. So every day when we sit down, we get these clever signals from our, our adipose or fat tissue in our gut going to our brain telling us when we should and shouldn't eat. Now, when you lose weight, that appetite regulation system or appetite you know, signaling actually again gets out of whack. It will, they, those hormones will start telling you to eat more. They will start telling you to put more food on your plate so that, again, you go back to your start point. Now, there's another, what, six well-researched biological pathways, and these relate to different glands like your thyroid. But basically, what your body's doing is very cleverly protecting itself, and it's just doing that due to, again our ancestors and evolution. When I was, I can totally relate to that. When I was on that men's health adventure, I did 10 weeks and it was extraordinary. I lost 11 kilos, I think, 12 kilos. I put on two and a half kilos of muscle in that time. And every now and again, like you still have to have a life. So I would go to, I remember this one particular, I went to lunch at my friend Will's house and they created this beautiful feed. And I was like, oh, I'm only going to have one stuffed capsicum. <laughs> and I have one and then something hit inside me and you guys can just keep talking. I'm just going to eat that whole tray. Mm. And I actually couldn't stop myself. And it was wild because I'd been so careful for the past like five or six weeks or how long I've been going on for it. Similarly, when we did the photo shoot and I was free and clear, man, I was just a hoover. <laughs> I couldn't stop it. It was, it, I was, it was like back when I was drinking. I was like actually powerless over... But bear in mind, like, I'm still restricted. I was eating vegan food and, you know, gluten-free food, so I'm not, like, shoveling ice cream and, you know, but I'm still, like, eating, like, lots of tofu and, like, heaps of stuff, just shoveling, just volumes and volumes into it. So I'd be, I'd be distended, you know, when I put a shirt on. You could see my stomach pushing through yep. my body, but I was actually unable to stop it. And I'm wondering, is that the sort of thing that gets – because I'm wondering, like – how do people end up in these dire situations? How do someone who's like 22, 23, and, you know, I saw someone like this the other day, he couldn't have been more than 22, 23 years old, and he had to have been like 140, 150, like, like to the, like, I can't wipe my own butt size. Hmm. He was a big, big, big boy. How do people end up in that predicament? Yeah, so I, you just mentioned about your own experience with the 10-week the challenge. I mean, you know, whatever we can 
refer to that as. It's like another sort of yeah. dietary approach, yeah. a diet. And you talked about seeking out more food. Now, that is another one of those eight biological pathways that kick in a gear. When you deprive yourself of food, your body will tell you to go and have that food. And this is not just a subjective feeling of increased appetite. We know that food preferences change. We can do that through clever brain imaging. We watch what happens to a person's brain when you subject or put them in front of different foods after they've lost weight. And they start to seek out more calorie-rich, high-energy foods that are high in fat and high in sugar. That preference has changed from what it was before they lost weight. Now, again, that's just due to evolution and what the foods that we used to so it's seek it's not out, willpower. It's not willpower. Wow. It has nothing to do with willpower whatsoever. Now, that's what we've been brainwashed to believe. And that's what the dieting industry brainwashes to believe because if it's our lack of willpower, we just go and buy the program again, right? We sign up to it again. We give them another few hundred dollars and, you know, we lose kilos. We put it back on and then we talk to our friends or Betty down the street and we're convinced it's due to our lack of willpower. And this is why we keep buying in and we're buying in four to five times every year. Now, how do we get into this position, we should question. Because of those two main reasons, one is our addiction to food. Remember now we live in this environment that is completely different to what we you know, evolved during our ancestors' time. Now calorie-rich foods are literally everywhere. We don't have to walk more than a block before you know there's a corner shop or a multinational corporation or whoever it might be where you can access food and low-cost, high-energy, nutrient-poor food. And then in conjunction with that, we don't go and walk the 15, 20 kilometers we used to do even before the 1980s. That was quite common. So we don't walk, we use motor vehicles, we, we stand in front of technology, sit in front of technology all day. We literally are leading this sedentary lifestyle and shoveling food down our mouths. Sleep becomes a, so everything suffers, right, basically. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is because we are looking for the short-term fix. We are dieting ourselves fatter. They're the two main reasons why we're getting into this position. So the very industry that's proclaiming to, you know, solve, they want to doing something for the better good, well, they're contributing to the very problem. And that really is complete madness. And you know, when you want to look at two reasons, it is because of our inability to stop eating and two, our inability to keep looking for that short-term fix. We don't look to the future because we have to seek out what is in front of us right now and, and then. That's what we evolved to do and that's what we will always do. There's, there's certainly when you start to get to the really, really big people, there's got to be some sort of comorbidity around psychological and mental health because there's, there's got to be a point where you just go like, oh, fuck it, and I'll eat an entire Sara Lee cheesecake. Yes. You know, because yes. I'm already disgusting. No one's going to touch me. No one looks at me. I'm invisible when I walk down the street. People avert their eyes. No one cares. Therefore, I don't care. So I'm going to eat this fucking cake and I'm going to drink two litres of Coke. Yep. So you've got two sort of situations there. Firstly, you know, and I'll go back to our clinics and, and sort of the patients that we see and, and the thousands of patients that we're seeing every month. Some people present with mental health disorders and then along the journey they develop a physical health disorder and that might be, for instance, a weight problem. 
It could be due to medications or many other factors in their life. Then you also have people that are presenting with physical health disorders. And it might only be a couple of kilos, but they might have a body image disorder or some sort of distorted perception of what a normal healthy weight is. So, you know, they want to actively do something about their weight. They've been trying to do that online for God knows how many years before they came to us. But then it's this vicious cycle pretty much known as the what the hell effect. So you might have a person that's now beyond what they see as being able to be helped. So they, they really do have a large amount of weight. They're considered to have morbid obesity. So some of them might be 200 kilos plus. They, you know, they really are struggling. Some people might be much less, but they still will have potentially serious psychological and mental health disorders associated with their weight. Now, they're still trying to do something in many regards, but they do it in a way where they deprive themselves. They think, okay, I'll just cut that out of my life, that cheesecake or that Coke or that biscuit, packet of biscuits, whatever it is, it's our go-to foods. We all have them. But the same thing happens. You, you can cut them out for a short period of time, but then we just say, what the hell? You know, those, those feelings of guilt overpower your urge to go and eat that food, and then you end up having the whole packet instead of just the one or the two. So there's so many different factors involved here, and this is why we are trying to emphasize to the, the population that obesity is a disease and you need to treat it accordingly. You need to stop listening to people that are unqualified and basically selling you things that are unevidence-based and doing more harm than good. Because while you're in that cycle, that vicious cycle of um, you know de deprivation followed by indulgence, you're never going to succeed because your biology is always going to fight itself. And then you might end up being that person that is then 150, 200 kilos. Because we've had many cases where people have reported being otherwise in a normal healthy weight. And this is particularly common with younger females nowadays. So they have this distorted perception of what a healthy body weight is. And as a result, they're actively always trying to do something about it. But like I was saying, when you're doing that and you're intentionally trying to change your weight or weight cycling, all that's going to happen is your weight will go up over time and then you will have a physical problem with your health, with your weight, in being that your weight or you will be then clinically diagnosed as having obesity. Now, your weight, you're saying, you said it before, we're dieting ourselves fat and you just said your weight will go up over time. That's because, from what you said before, when we go on one of these diets, we change the resting metabolic rate, but then it doesn't reset back to what it was when we were, say, when I was, and you mentioned before, when I was on meds, I was, it was a side effect of the medication. I was about 93, 95 kilos. I'm about 80 now. So yeah. I was 15 kilos heavier yeah. at least. All right. But what you're saying is like, say, for example, what, if I wasn't on meds, if I was 96 all right, and I came down to 80 or I got even lower, if I got down to 70, my uh, resting metabolic rate changes to someone who's 70 kilos. But then if I continue my eating habits back to what I was when I was in my 90s, the rest of metabolic rate doesn't go back to what it was when I was in the 90s. And so my caloric surplus is now way more than it was when from before. Is that right? Yeah. And that's, but remember, this is because your body's changing to make sure you go back to your set point, your starting weight. Trying to get me back to 96. Trying to get you back to 96. Right, right, right. So you've lost this, you've gone from the 96 down to the 85 or the 80 or whatever it might be. And this could be anyone that's following uh -huh. some sort of weight loss program. 
And as your weight starts to go down, and it's usually just even after a small amount of weight loss, which is about three kilos, this is what we consider clinically significant. And that's because that's the weight that will improve your health long-term. Now, once you start to lose that small amount of weight, that's when your body functions start to change. So metabolic rate is one of them. That's going to go down to make sure you burn less energy at rest. You burn less energy at rest, what's going to happen? Your weight's going to go back up. But remember, there's other things too. It's also the appetite hormones. Remember, they're changing. So those signals from your stomach to your brain are telling you to eat more, to tell you to go and get more food. It's also that food deprivation. So we've cut out all of those foods that are in that cutely, neatly packaged 12-week program and all the favorites are cut out. Of course, we're meticulously weighing out you know, 80 grams of meat on the scales and, 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 and everything else that goes with that meal plan. Now, as you're doing that, your weight is going down, but your biology is changing, your physiological responses within the body are changing, and they're telling you to go and eat more food. You substrate, the amount of you know, energy you're burning at rest, we talked about metabolism. Well, usually when we're sitting at rest, we're predominantly burning fat. So when we sit here right now, instead of burning carbs, we're predominantly burning fat. But when you lose weight, that substrate will change over from fat to carbs because carbs, we don't burn as much energy at rest. Again, it's another mechanism to make sure you go back to that 86 that you're at. So there are so many different factors coming into gear to ensure that you're basically doomed for failure the minute you sign up or start that program. And this is what many people fail to understand. When you say burning carbs, do you mean uh, glycogen? Do you mean the the readily available? That's right. Right, okay. Yeah, carbs are stored as, uh, they're broken down in the body as glucose and then stored as glycogen in in our muscles and and liver, for instance. So instead of burning the fat from the adipose tissue, you start burning your glycogen stores. So with the analogy that I've been given a a bunch of analogies, but the one that I, I was talking to my brother about the other day is when you see one of those giant articulated uh, fuel tankers running down the street. You know, it might have eighty-seven thousand liters of diesel in the back. All right, but if the tanks in the front run out of diesel, it's really hard to run a hose into the back to fill up from his massive tank. So the tanks in the front of the truck, that's the glycogen. The tanks in the back of the truck, that's the fat. And you've got to run through the stuff at the front before you can get into the stuff at the back. Yeah, and you know, your body will be very clever in that it'll be like, well, I don't want to use that stuff that say at the front anymore I want to start using the stuff at the back because that's not going to cost me as much energy right or vice versa when you lose the weight I want to burn more energy so that I go back to my set point my 86 kilos so it's you know it's changing the systems all the time wow yeah to to basically make sure it stays the same it's getting rid of any stress it's eliminating any stress from the body and you know caloric restriction or dieting or weight loss whatever we want to refer to it as, basically one of the biggest stresses you can impose on the body. Really? Yep. Wow. It's like physical trauma. You yeah. know, if, if you hit me right now, that's a huge stress on my body. My body will go into shutdown to protect itself. Same sort of thing. If you, you go and follow, you know, we, tomorrow we go and sign up to a program and what is it? It's a huge stress on the body. The mm. body will do all it can to eliminate it to make sure that you go back to your starting point. So there's a bit of a bleak picture because most people, all they know is eat less, move more. That's like it. Uh, it's four words, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. And what you're saying is every time we do that, we affect that set point and it's actually getting worse and worse and worse. So, Nick, what do we do about it? 
Well, what you just said is exactly right, and that's why very few people are succeeding, sadly, and that's why it's one of the biggest, well, one of the two reasons why we're getting fatter as a nation. Now, we talked about, you know, our ancestors and the problem being evolutionary. Now, just as the problem is evolutionary, the solution must be evolutionary, right? Otherwise, how are we going to overcome those biological protections that come into gear every single time? We're not going to be able to. So what we worked out was through seeing our patients and basically they're human guinea pigs. So they come into these you know, hospital clinics and we can do everything with them. We put them through imaging machines. We can see what's going on in their brain but also throughout their entire body. We can take blood off them, see what's happening to all these They're hormones. consenting to all this. They're like, consenting to all they're, they're these things. Pigs. Like they are like, they're, I'm here because I need help. How exactly. can I help you, they help me getting, and others? They are getting state-of-the-art care. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as a result, we're also collecting as many different measures off them to make sure that we're giving them the best state-of-the-art care. Yeah. Like, you know, bloods and, and, and imaging. Now, when you remember follow some sort of energy or eat less, move more type approach. You lose the weight and then the body starts to work differently. So what you've got to do is you've got to overcome that protection. So we worked out that the only way to do that was actually to impose breaks along the way. So remember I talked about a weight loss of about, you know, sort of three kilos being clinically significant. Well, that's when your body starts to work differently. That's when you know, your blood pressure will improve, your cholesterol level might go down, you start to feel a lot better. And, and also, if you keep that small amount of weight loss off, say you went from your 86 and you went down to you know, 83, 82 kilos and kept that off for five years, that will significantly reduce your risk of dying prematurely from heart disease. Fantastic. Yeah. It's only a small amount of weight loss, but it's hard to keep off, remember. So... When you lose a small amount of weight, you then have to think, okay, well, if that's the case, your body's starting to work differently, what do you do? You have to impose a break. You basically got to say to that patient, you're not allowed to lose weight anymore. You've actually got to stop losing weight. So you've basically been out on this plan. You're actually told to eat more. You don't have to weigh calories, uh, measure calories, count calories, measure foods, and you know, incorporate activity in life, et cetera, which we can talk about in a second. But you're losing this small amount of weight over a course of a month, so two to three kilos. Then you have to stop and allow your body to reset at that lowered and, and now adjusted set point, which is only a couple of kilos lighter. After that month of having a break, you can then go on and lose weight again. Only another couple of kilos, which is quite easy to do because typically we can lose weight very easily then you've got to maintain again for the fourth month so you're basically following this weight loss weight maintenance weight loss weight maintenance weight loss weight maintenance approach now when we do that and we're taking all of these you know, measures within our patients we can see that the body's not fighting itself and all of those typical responses that we would get where you get your metabolism lowering and your appetite hormones changing and your fat switching over to carbs well they don't come into gear because you're giving your body a chance to rest at lowered set points along the way and you're not losing large amounts of weight within each increment. Now, you know, you might be listening right now thinking, well, that's 
one hell of a slow journey. It's two kilos every couple of months. Well, that's going to take me, what, 12 months to lose 12 kilos. Yeah, of course. And that's a large amount of weight because remember, we can lose 12 kilos in four weeks, but what happens? You put 13 back on, right? So that's the hardest thing. And this is the biggest barrier that people have when they get that message and this this program, which is basically what we've called interval weight loss. One, they get excited when they see the number going down on the scale. So they want to keep losing weight during the weight maintenance months. Well, what's going to happen? They're doomed for failure. Their biology will change. But then secondly, it's very hard to get a person to think beyond that wedding that's coming up in a couple of weeks or the birthday party or the engagement party. So you've got two major barriers you're trying to overcome. One is that, look, you've got to actually halt every second month and impose a break. And the second thing is you need to look to six to 12 months down the track rather than three months' time for that event you're trying to slim down for. If a person can overcome those two barriers and follow the plan, look, what happens is they can actually lose weight and then they're not getting to that lowered weight and then they're body fighting itself, which is so is sort of refreshing because typically, remember, they're always getting to that point and then it doesn't matter how strong they are with their willpower, their body's always making sure they go back to their start point. So I'm guessing like if people are, what did you say, 31 diets by the time they're 50, 45? So they'll be on 61 diets Good by Lord. the time they're 45, so four to five diets every year. Okay. So most of those people that get the message, yeah. so they hear about interval weight loss, they relate to that message because yeah. they've been on the diets. Well, that's why they've been on 61 diets. Yes. This probably wouldn't be the first thing you'd try. I'm guessing this would be the thing that you try if you're like, you know what, I have tried for 10 years and yes, that happens every time and yes, it gets harder every time. I need to do something different. I'm done with this. I've got to try something different. But I understand very much to be fearful of the weight maintenance because, that, whoa, 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 hang on, it's not going down. Look out, what if I go up? What if I get 100 grams? What if I get 200 grams? Ooh, it's here I go again. It's all over. What does the weight maintenance month look like? How does the eating... Well, firstly, what does the weight loss eating look like? Yep. Is, there, is there scales and that sort of thing? And what does the weight maintenance month look like? Very, very good question about especially the ups and downs with the 100 mm. grams or the 200 grams. Mate, if you're shredding for the wedding, yeah. you are obsessing we about are. that We are. We're on the scale six times a day. Mate. We have a meal and then we're like, oh, hang on, why is my weight going up by half a kilo? I just had a plate of, you know, we'll, we'll point the finger at anything, whether yeah. it's the plate of pasta or the, the tub of yogurt, and there's a new food or food product that we, you know, blame every day of the week. It used to be fat, then it was carbs, and now, believe it or not, it's actually dairy. So these are the foods that we're cutting out of our <laughs> diet because they're the ones we think make us fat, but they're not the foods that make us fat. Yeah. But what is the plan? I mean, well... It is comprehensive, and this is why it was translated in, into this interval weight loss program because, one, you don't need to go into hospital clinics to succeed. We found that once people get the right information and they have to stop wading through all that plethora of rubbish online, you know, not just internet but social media, then they didn't have to keep reading all the time. They just had this complete guide to what was based on science. So they're getting all the information on what to eat, and, you know, how much to have each day, etc. But then secondly, getting a scientific plan for how to go about a weight loss journey so they wouldn't get the same response they always got. Now, 
most people have been on the dieting journey, so they do relate. But even the people that don't, obviously, we're trying to get that message to them too. Because if they start on that yo-yo diet journey, they're only going to end up bigger and bigger each time. Now, the program basically has six principles. They are based around not only food, retraining your brain, but also other important measures like sleep and exercise. So we tell people to eat more, not less. So we're getting people to actually have breakfast as their biggest meal of the day. Dinner is their smallest meal. They have to sit down at dinner time at the table or away from technology with a you know small bread and um, butter-sized plate or a rice-sized bowl, and they have to use chopsticks. So it really slows down their eating time. It also rethinks what they typically do because at the moment we run out the door, we might grab a coffee as we're running to work. We then probably go to a couple of meetings, skip lunch, have our biggest meals in the afternoon and evening time. We go through that cycle all the time. Now, that's not a good thing to do. So we're trying to teach a person how to reorientate their food and how to go to big to small throughout the day. Then as part of that, we're teaching a person how to retrain their brain. Because remember, we've become addicted to those foods. The reason why we've become addicted to the Tim Tams or the chips or whatever it is, is because every time you reach for them or every time you see them, they release this pleasure response in the brain. It's like this this memory that, oh, that food, that that's such a great thing, you know, I need to go and have more of it. I need to go and buy it. And it triggers that feel-good response in the brain. And that's why it's so hard to stop eating them. But you get that same response in the brain from nature's treats. And that's why we always say reach for nature's treats. So a simple example is anything that you're having sweet, like it might be a chocolate bar or some sort of candy. Well, every time you have, you know, fruit and honey and all those things that are actually from the nature state, they will give you that same pleasure response in the brain every single time. So that's why we're trying to get people to slowly wean towards nature's treats. Then we also obviously get them to incorporate activity into their life in a way that's not going to the gym and signing up to a membership that they only do for a couple of weeks and then, you know, neglect the membership and probably have three or four that are getting deducted from their account on a regular basis. So incorporating activity in in a way that's um, incidental and, and you've talked to various people on your podcast too about how to do that and how, you know, incidental activity is very important, you know, walking to the shops and getting it back into your day to day life. And then importantly, in a very summarized version of the six principles is retraining your brain to improve sleep. You know, we've got to get away from technology. We need to allow our sort of wake and night cycle to to happen naturally. And technology and blue light emission is one of the biggest problems to that at the moment. So we get home, we're still on the iPads, we're still on the computers, we're still doing it in, even in the bedrooms, we're surrounded by technology, we can't sleep. There's got to be a certain period of time, you know, even if it's from the minute you get home or the minute you leave your office or from four o'clock in the afternoon where you say no more technology and you start to prepare yourself for that evening time and remove all the blue light emission so you can allow yourself to fall to sleep naturally and allow yourself to get better quality sleep. It's also a time of the day which is most challenging for food because we might come home and, and reach for, say, I don't know, the wine and the cheese or whatever it might be, and we unconscious well, you're consciously really snacking all, all these foods that are around us because we've deprived ourselves all day. 
And then we sit in front of the couch and we eat the packet of Tim Tams and, you know, we're mindlessly eating. But it's a time of the day when you should, and we teach people to use it constructively. So we're getting them to actually engage in constructive activities and giving them guides for how to do that so that that time of the day becomes the most productive and then it obviously leads into good sleep patterns and, and, and an overall, you know, improvement in their lifestyle so that we slowly change habits. We're not getting them to overhaul everything completely. We start with one habit, we move on to the next, and eventually those habits become ingrained in your life. And everyone will have different habits they need to change. But I've, sadly, there are a lot of common ones. And the ones I just referred to, like, you know, the addiction to those processed foods, the technology use, the coming home at the end of the day and, and, and over overeating and binging, they are common things that we're always trying to address. And that's why they're particularly uh, brought out in, in the Interval Weight Loss Plan with the six principles. So as you're learning those principles, that will teach you how you lose that two, a small amount of weight loss, two kilos every, every second month. And then when you get to the weight maintenance month, basically it means you can just ease off. You can take the foot off the accelerator. You can have more of those treat foods you might have, you know, cut down on during the weight loss months. Well, you could maybe cut down on your, your activity a little bit. So instead of going to the gym and you know, banging out this 40-minute session, you might be able to go there and do an easier 30-minute session because, remember, you've got to focus on maintenance during that month. And how do you do that? You're just weighing yourself once a week. You're choosing the same time, the same day, and you're looking at the trend over time because, like you said, you know, your weight will fluctuate enormously throughout the day. And those 100 and 200 gram differences mean nothing. We're just getting people to look at the trend over time. If the trend is going down 200 grams every week and then it's a one kilo over the month or two kilos over the month, that's what we're looking for. And it's the same with the weight maintenance month. If it's going up and down each week by one or 200 grams, that is weight maintenance, okay? That is what we're looking for. We're looking at the trend over time. So it was a big, bit of a long and uh, no, that's fine. way to explain what it is. But, I mean, there's much more to it, and that's the thing. We're just trying to get that information to people. In yeah. It. So the, the idea is that you're saying for a month, what's that line? Uh, breakfast of a king, lunch is the prince, dinner is the pauper. Exactly. All right, so you're eating this big breakfast, biggest meal of the day, lunch, uh, less, and then dinner to the point where, and I totally can relate to this as someone who wolfs down food and I, and I had to get one for a dog I used to own, like one of those slow feeding mats because she would just <laughs> inhale the food and then puke it back up. So it's like you're eating a tiny little bowl with chopsticks to yes. deliberately slow you down yes. and, and not looking at your phone so you are in being with the nourishment and actually feeling the sensation of the fullness and allowing those hormones to go, oh, we've eaten enough, to have the time to kick in. And so you go, actually, no, I'm all right. I'm okay. And that's for a month. And then for a month, you go, okay, now I'm eating dinner with knife and fork again. Yeah. And you go back to the re regular meals. You may not have Tim Tams in the house, which is, you know, as someone who has eaten an entire pack of Tim Tams when I've gone for just one, mate, I know do. it's better just for me to not have them around. All right? I don't have it anymore, but when I did, I just, I can't buy these things. I just eat the whole thing. And then, then the following month, and, and that 250 grams or so a week is a really sustainable, great amount of weight to lose. Rather than a kilo a week, 250 grams. And then so at the end of the month, you're like, oh, two kilos, gone, gone. Exactly. And then back we go down to eating dinner with our chopsticks again. And we do that for a year. 
that's fantastic. Yes. And so what you're allowing then is all the, the hormonal responses that we spoke about earlier, the ones that graduate the set points and resting metabolic rates and things, we're giving them time to adjust to the new amount of food coming in and the new amount of activity, whether it be I get off the bus, I stop early before work or I get off the bus, I stop early before home or you know I go for a walk three times a week or I put on a podcast, I walk out the door for 10 minutes, I turn around and walk back, I've walked 20 minutes, brilliant. So now that body's adjusting to these things slowly, slowly, slowly. It's, it can't be fast. Like we wish it would be fast because summer's coming or, you know, I've got this wedding I've got to be a bridesmaid at or I'm going away with the boys for a golf weekend and I can't turn up and have them tell me, you know, who ate all the pies all weekend and I can't have that. You know, we want it to happen quickly and stay off quickly. But what you're telling us is that if we do that, we are shooting ourselves in the foot and then our body is <laughs> genetically designed to not allow that to sustain. That'd, that'd be right. Exactly. Okay, that is cool. spot on. And, and, you, and like you said, it's basically ingraining habits that you slowly change over time. So we might stick with one thing and for you and I, it might be like, we're not moving. So every day we will set regular intervals where we do go out. Instead of driving down the shops to get that milk, we might walk there mm. or we might go out and listen to the podcast, like you said. And mm. once you've worked on that habit and that's become routine, you move on to the next and slowly they just become part of your lifestyle mm. and you can just work on one or two of those habits each month during the weight loss months and then you can carry them on during the weight maintenance months, definitely. You can still yeah. use your chopsticks yeah. but you, you're allowed to be more liberal. Right, right. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that the issue of the fa- that we face and the problem that we face is evolutionary. Similarly though, we were from what you, we sp- you spoke about earlier, our evolutionary makeup has allowed us to survive with our digestive system not working all the time as it does right now. Is there a benefit to having those states of, okay, I'm just not eating? Is it okay to just not eat? Yeah, it's, it's a very important point you raise because now intermittent fasting has become hugely popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's largely driven to the likes of, you know, your Mosleys and, and people like that that are pushing different versions of it. It might be 5-2, 16-8, referring to the days you eat where you might restrict for two days a week, five days you can be more liberal. Mm. Or 16-8 where you eat during a certain window of the day. Noon to 8 p.m. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everyone's got their own variations of it. But the problem is... If you keep following some sort of restrictive plan where you're trying to lose weight, and we're doing it, say, now with intermittent fasting, and your weight goes down with intermittent fasting, what's going to happen after a few kilos? Uh, my body's going to go, oh, yeah, 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 that's about enough there, champ. Yeah. Let's just hold off now. Any calories that come in, we are just going to hold on to these guys. Exactly. Right. And that's what's going to happen. And then you start to go back to your start point. So what, you know, visually, if, you, if you're trying to think of this, like, you know, while you're listening, you go down and then what happens? You've got a classic V-shaped response. It, the weight loss will slow down and then it will start to go back up. So really you're just looking at a, a U or a V. Whereas, remember, with interval weight loss, it's like a step. It goes down and then across, down, across, down, across. So even with intermittent fasting, you might get some health benefits from it. And, and you know, look, some people might have success with it. We, people have success with all different approaches. But remember the common factor, fewer than 5% are succeeding long-term. Everyone will celebrate those short-term wins and 
blast off how good they did on that 5-2 diet or whatever it is, but follow them up down the track and they've gone back to their starting point. We're not then talking about the long-term failures, are we? So, you know, to answer your question, sadly, it's just another marketing spin mm-hmm. on cutting calories from your diet. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We can definitely go longer periods without eating. We don't have to eat all the time. But in this modern day environment, we'll set ourselves up for failure when it's around you all the time. So if you don't eat and then you go walking and then you walk past that KFC or whatever food it is that you love, what's going to happen? We're likely to go and buy it because we deprived ourselves of food. So you've got to set yourself up for success. And that's, again, one of those principles of that interval weight loss plan. By eating regularly and by eating from big to small, you're more likely to be able to curb those cravings and prevent you going to do those impulse buys. Why do we eat from big to small? Why is it important to have the calories get less and less from each meal towards the end of the day towards sleep? Because at the moment, we know that we wake up and then we get home and when we get home, that's when we end up eating most of our food. Mm-hmm. And what foods do we go for when we're hungry? All of those energy-dense, calorie-dense foods. I mean, the wine and the cheese is a great example. It's, it's quite common in the Australian culture to go home and drink alcohol and snack and have high-energy-dense snacks with that, with that drink. Now, that's a bad thing because once you start that, it continues on to the next meal. Then you end up having dinner as your biggest meal. You wake up, you're not hungry, and you go through that same rut. It's because most of the time when you put yourself in that situation where you deprive yourself and you get hungry, you end up selecting the less nutritious options. So we say, look, set yourself up for success. Eat big have less throughout the day, taper off, and then when you get home, your appetite and your hunger won't be as high. Sit down, enjoy that time with family, friends, or if you're alone, listen to a podcast, write in your journal. Dinner's the most important meal from a social, cultural perspective or alone time, whatever it might be, but it's not from a portion size perspective. It's the, it's the time where you should be sitting down to the least amount of food and then waking up, your appetite hormones will be telling you you're hungry and you'll sit down to a bigger, bigger breakfast. The other part of that is that there is a lot of research to show that those who have bigger breakfasts are better able to manage their weight, okay, so from a weight management perspective, but also a mental health and stimulant and and alertness type research perspective. So there's, there's a few different reasons, but look, you've got to set yourself up for success. And to do that, you need to eat and prevent hunger kicking in. Otherwise, you're going to end up going for those foods that you love. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
I, I, you know, I look at the, the abstinence model because that's what worked for me mm. uh, around drinking and, and certainly it works for me around, you know, I tend, it wasn't until I, you know, lived with Audrey uh, because we have Georgia and we just have to have these foods in the house. I, I was quite careful about what foods I did have in the house because I, I knew that I didn't have much control over what I was going to eat lots of, so I just tended to not have stuff around. Is that a factor? Is there a, fa- is there a planning phase where like, okay, I know there's these normal things that I normally buy every day or every time I go to the shops, I always grab a pack of these. Is that a factor of like, yeah, just maybe just don't have it in the house for a while? Yeah, it's a factor, but we do it in a weaning process if you just remember, go cold turkey, cut them out completely. One of those biological protections is we go and seek those foods out that are high fat, high sugar. If you've replaced them, remember one of those principles is actually reaching for nature first. If you replace them with the nature's goodies that are high in fat, avocado or olive oil, whatever it might be, or the ones high in sugar like your, your fruits and, and your honey and, and um, syrups, well, look you're going to get the same pleasure response. So you probably can just cut them out. But we often tell people to do it in a, pro, in a way that you, you still love those foods. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the pizza or the ice cream or the chocolate. So let them be part of your lifestyle. You can still have them the once a week, but they shouldn't be part of your day-to-day lifestyle. So just do it in a way that's sustainable. If you prefer to cut them out altogether and you've replaced them and you're still getting the same pleasure response from other aspects of your lifestyle, that's fine. But if they still are enjoyed by you and you still love them, allow yourself to have them because that's what we say. You don't have to cut anything out altogether, but do it in a way that's sustainable and healthy. As someone who sees people who are People, by the time they get to your clinic, they're at their most vulnerable. They're at their wit's end. They're like, I'm going to need knee replacement surgery and I'm 30 years old because I'm carrying 180 kilos, right? I talked to a bloke on the weekend who had gastric bypass, you know, the band around his stomach. You know, his, his tummy is about as big as my three fingers right here pulled together. That's about as big as his tummy is, right? He's lost 80 kilos, mm. but bloody hell, that's quite an intervention. In the same way that I've had to take Instagram and Facebook off my phone because I absolutely cannot compete with the AI algorithms that are competing for my time. Mate, it's a, it's a pokey in my pocket. People don't understand that about phones. It's yeah. the, the very, very clever people in Silicon Valley who have designed these things to keep my attention and so I've had to take it out of my life. Similarly, there are very, very clever people who work at massive fast food companies that, and I've read the book Fast Food Nation, I blew my mind when I read about the, the amount of testing and labs that were, went on in to get the fry recipe perfect, the mouthfeel, and the, the, they've got to be sold within this many seconds of coming out of the fryer, otherwise it doesn't make them come back for more. And, you know, the would you like would you like them bigger than that? You know, all that kind of stuff. And in many ways, those things are, are hacking our ability to, to know when we're full and know this is good for me or not good for me because they're just hitting those massive red pleasure buttons in our brains when we put them in our mouths. And it's, it's almost unfair that they can sell that stuff for yeah. me. It is very hard to to be able to manage in this environment, okay? It's everywhere, but it's also very cheap. Yeah. And just like going to that favourite fast food restaurant, even when you go to your, your local restaurant down the road, most of the time it's going to be much higher in fat, sugar, salt and everything else that you typically wouldn't use in the home environment because why? They want you to come back. It has to taste good. If it tastes like crap, you're not going to go back there. So 
It's the same when it comes to food manufacturing. They're doing all they can to make sure that every time you see that food, you buy it because, again, it's triggering those pleasure responses in the brain. So remember what we're trying to do is retrain your brain Mm. and embrace the modern day environment. The environment is not going to change overnight. Sure, there's certain things we can do to help people or guide people towards better food choices and, and improve health literacy around food, but the fast food giants and the multinational corporations are still going to be here. They're still going to be doing what they do. They're still going to be strategically placing those foods at the end of the aisle or in the checkout as you wait. So what do you have to do? Remember what we talked about. You have to plan for those. And you still need to give yourself or your brain that pleasure response and you need to do it from nature's treats. That's exactly what our ancestors did. Because people, I you know, when you talk about nature's treats, I've got a a tub up there of Medjool dates and they really are one of the greatest things ever grown. They are just the best. I love them so much. But fruit's got a bad rap. People are like, fruit, it's got fructose. Fructose is sugar. Therefore bad, I can't have fruit. But it's the packaging that it comes with. It comes with all kinds of fibre. It's not just like this distilled, refined, like sugar that you would find in a soft drink, for example. It, it's, it's packaged with fibrous tissue and, and all kinds of things that go with it that help you absorb that and process it completely differently, right, than a soft drink. Yeah, they, they are a complete food. So to take a step back from that, think of sugar. There's two types of sugar. You've got added sugars, which go into all of those processed and packaged foods and fast foods, anything like that. Then you've got naturally occurring sugars. Now, these are good for us because they're foods that are found in nature's treats. A very good example is the fruit that you just talked about. Now, fruit contains sugars, but these are naturally occurring. They're also as part of a food that contains other nutrition. Now, fiber is one of the great examples you just talked about. So what happens? We get the pleasure response from the sugar, which is good. It's also not detrimental for our health. And then secondly, we're getting all of these other nutritional benefits from the fiber, for example, and vitamins and minerals that are packed into that fruit. So they're filling us up, but they're also protecting our health. So these movements that have come out where it's like sugar-free, I quit sugar, and they're telling us to cut out this arbitrary list of foods because they contain sugar. Well, it's all complete nonsense. It means absolutely nothing. You shouldn't be doing it. And all you're doing when you cut those foods out that are full of nutrition and and nutritious is putting your health at long-term risk. I mean, these foods, including whole grain carbohydrates, they fall into categories that are protective for our health. These are the foods that protect us against colon cancer, type 2 diabetes and heart disease. So, I mean, we're getting caught up in all of this conflicting and, and, you know, different marketing material that we get through, you know, various means every day of the week. And again, that's why we did translate this into a weight loss message to say, look, here's your complete guide. Stop listening to everything else. This is based on current science. It's going to tell you how simple it really is. And then you don't need to worry about anything else and all these sugars and all these other movements that we hear every day of the week. Well, yeah, because uh, in, in, like anything, you know, whether it be, I don't know, whether it be coal, whether it be, you know, whatever, follow the money, you know. You follow the money, you'll find out why. I mean, you said yourself, $60 billion a year That's is huge, a lot of money. And if people are trying four or five diets a year, if people are having, as you mentioned, concurrent gym memberships, 
because, you know, both of which they don't go to. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> they, right. Because they sign up for 12 months and they can't get out of it or yep. some crap like that. Yep. Like that's going to be detrimental not only to your self-esteem. Like I've got two gym memberships I don't go to. You know, great, I'm going to eat another pie. Um, that's going to really, really mess you up. Yep. So I doubt there'd be anybody listening who hasn't tried some kind of dieting. If they're like, all right, Nick, I'm in, what should they do? Okay, so the first thing is I would do what you've just recommended. Delete Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff off your phone or use one of those apps where it controls how much you use. You know, you can say, look, I like it. I want to use it one hour a day and I get the alert when that comes up and it stops me using it. Why is that important? Why is it important to not look at Instagram or Facebook if you're trying to lose weight? Sure, because... We will never look and we don't want to look like those people that we are following on Facebook or Instagram. One, it's not healthy to do so. And two, they don't look like that in real life. Now, what they're pushing on to you is misleading information that's not evidence-based and it's doing more harm than good. There's a very good paper that came out where all these nerdy scientists and doctors and clinicians go to these conferences. They're my they favourite people. And they talk about the science. And just last month in Glasgow, we talked about this paper we did on social media influencers. And all they did was pick out 10 leading influencers in the United Kingdom and looked at the information they were flogging. Nine out of 10 of them were, were putting out information that was not even closely related to what we now know as sort of best standard care. So not just relating to weight loss, but also what you should be putting into your body. So you're not getting the right information when you're doing that, okay? It's also going to secondly contribute to a distorted perception of what a healthy body image is, and you're going to start thinking potentially that you're overweight when you might already be, you know, in a normal healthy body weight range. So social media is only doing more harm than good. It's the first thing you should do, probably get rid of it altogether. And the second thing is, I mean, it's, it, it's very hard to get away from all that noise when it comes to family, friends, colleagues. Everyone tells us about the latest diet they're on and, you know, how they're doing really good or how, you know, Martha down the road has, has lost 20 kilos on this keto approach, so why don't you give it a go? You have to basically stay away from all of that noise because it's the same thing rebranded, remarketed in a different, this sort of sexy, neatly packaged product. Yes, you're going to get that success short term and you might drop the dress size or the belt buckle size for the, for the wedding, but you're going to put it back on. Remember, we talked about this extensively today. So they're the two biggest things. Now, if you're then serious about, you know, whatever it might be, improvement in health, uh, nutrition, Weight, you want to lose some weight? Well, look, 70% of us are overweight, so that's potentially high on the list as well. Go about it from an evidence-based approach. Have a look at the interval weight loss plan and follow it. You can follow this for free. If you want to, go to your library. You can borrow the books. You can then jump on. We talked about cutting out Facebook altogether, but I also said that you can have it as a time-restricted window each day. You can jump on a Facebook group that will provide you free additional support on the journey along the way. You'll get your questions answered and you will find support from others that are going through the same journey as you. So they might be at the same life stage. It might be 
postmenopausal. It might be, you know, you've just had the f- your first kid or you might be training for some event, whatever it might be. You, you'll find someone hopefully that you can connect with and it's related to what your situation will be or more importantly you can connect with people that have been on the journey and have already succeeded on it so you can learn from them how to follow the plan or how to put the plan into place in your life so have a look and give it a go but do it with a different mindset you can't be thinking i need to get ready for that event or whatever it might be in a month or two months time you have to think what is it that I want to do? I want to be slimmer and healthier in 12 months' time. You have to look at the longer-term picture. If you don't do that, you're doomed for failure the minute you start. And you're not going to be starving doing this. You are going to be enjoying food. It's going to give the pleasure back to your lifestyle, especially food and exercise. And you're going to see improved sleep. And importantly, it'll improve your health and you'll even lose weight if that is something that you're after. Because I guess from the, the, the method that you're talking about is not just getting a body to use excess fat storage to power your body, uh, which is what you know, how quick shredding weight loss works. Uh, as it says in your book, you are reprogramming how your body uses that fat uh, and when your body decides to store that fat, but that doesn't, something that doesn't take a month, something that doesn't take two months, or something that will take a year. Yes. Right. And sometimes it might be longer. If I've got 30 kilos, it's my realistic goal weight loss. Well, based on that, so you rough 12 kilos a year, it's going to take approximately two and a half, three years. It might take longer, but you're still going to get to that result and you're not going to have to worry about your weight again. Some people only have a couple of kilos to lose. Look, they might have five kilos that they've been trying to get rid of for 10, 20 Mm. years. That five kilos might have become six or seven kilos because of the dieting journey. But again, the same thing. You have to follow the principle strictly, but you might not do two kilos a month. You might just do a kilo a month, and then you'll still lose that weight, you know, over the six to 12 months' time. So everyone's going to have different goals, Mm. but the approach stays the same. You still follow the same principles and you identify what habits it is that you need to work on in your lifestyle so they become part of your day-to-day life. Nothing feels as good as throwing out the pants you keep for when you're having fat times because you always keep them because you use them. You should never keep them, though. (laughs) Get rid of them. Don't keep looking at those clothes in the wardrobe thinking that is what I'm working towards. Break free from that mindset. Break through the wall and give your whole life a complete overhaul. Don't give that all or nothing approach. Just do it in slow incremental stages and you will get there. Who'd have thought a slow incremental approach will lead to a lasting permanent solution? Nick, (laughs) Jiminy Crickets, I can't tell that in a (laughs) one minute long Instagram story. That's amazing. I love it. Man, thank you so much for taking the time to come here today. Pleasure. I really appreciate it. It was great to get, oh, so good to talk about that stuff and and particularly the stuff around the set point because not not a lot of people kind of talk about that enough and that's that's wild to hear the way you described it and, yeah, that was super cool. Thanks, man. Pleasure. I really enjoyed it and thanks for coming around. Good hanging out with you. (laughs) Awesome, bro. I'm going to take your photo real quick, all right? Yeah, for sure. Cool, cool, cool. That was Dr. Nick Fuller. You can find out more about him at drnickfuller.com. 
www.andymarmite.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you very much to Andy Marr, my audio producer, who made all these best ofs across his holidays. Thank you also to Rachel Barrett for being exceptional, to Toe Hider for making all the music, and to my wife, Audrey, for just being fucking amazing. I wrote a song about Audrey that I finished my show and my live show with last year about, you know, how she helped me come out of the paranoid delusions and the weird psychosis that was happening. And the song was based off a line that she told me when I was in this horrible, horrible state of just dealing with suicidal ideation. It was just awful. And she said, you know, look, if it does come to that, I'll be with you and it will be okay. You know what? It's coming to that. She is with me. And it is okay. And we're here for each other. She's here for me. I'm here for you. You're here for the people around you. And it's going to be okay. We'll get there. There's no more me. There's only we. Talk to you next week. On Friday, actually. I'll speak to you Friday. If you need anything, got any questions... Let me know. Send us your email at gmail.com. All right. Until I talk to you Friday, look after yourself. Give what you can give to charity. If you can't give what you can give to charity, try and have conversations with the people in your life that need to hear about this. Need to understand that we've got to act. All right. Until we speak on Friday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.